This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, front and center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, man, if last week was a shot of adrenaline, the come down from that shot is brutal. Turns out my daughter has kept the prediction streak alive. It's too bad the 49ers were on the receiving end of the blowout. And with me this week, giving us his top 200 draft eligible prospects for 2021, it's David Newman. (laughs) Uh, Top 200. I think you're, um, you know, I don't know, maybe 198 high yeah, for where I'm willing to go right now. Trevor Lawrence and Justin uh, Fields. Yeah. Done. And the, and the prodigal son, the BYU uh, quarterback that's basically going to be Steve Young reincarnate. Let's do it. It happened once. It can happen again. No, that's a, that's a no for me, dog. We are not quite ready to get into draft talk yet. Let's talk a little about the game because uh, man, I was, you know, I felt good this weekend. I, I shaved my beard. I was Jeff Goldblum for Halloween. Uh, <laughs> You know, I spent basically all weekend walking around the house muttering, life uh, finds a way. My daughter was in a dino costume. Uh, it was great, you know? And then Sunday hits, and it just, it all it all fell apart real quick. Real, real quick. Real quick, yeah. I, I think, uh, I mean, that's what happens when you go against Russell Wilson right now, like in, in an offense that just, like, from a pass game standpoint is, I think, really clicking. And yeah, it was... Uh, it was a rough, a rough game that started. I mean, I guess like they had a moment, you know, there, there early on where it looked like, okay, they might keep it close, but yeah, things got a hand out of hand pretty quickly. The, the Niners need to force a game into a specific script, given the way that their team is constructed right now, given the injuries they've had across the board. And, and they really failed at trying to keep that script outside of the first two drives. What's that script that works really well for the Niners? The script that makes them look dominant. Well, one, they have to jump out to an early lead. That allows them to lean on the run game, and their run game actually has to be successful. If that gets stuffed, things get squirrely. And when they do pass, they have to get the ball out quick, and they rely on heavy play action, especially on targeted shots down the field. That is the recipe for 49ers success. All of those things have to go relatively well. The problem is, when one of those things doesn't go well, they're all kind of interconnected, and the house of cards kind of falls. 
And unless you have a quarterback that can really take you out of that and really overcorrect in some other areas and, and kind of smooth over some of those divots, then it really does begin to fall apart. And that's exactly what we saw against the Seattle Seahawks, where Jimmy Garoppolo early on was just off target, put them in some bad spots, couldn't capitalize on two early drives to put them ahead, and everything fell apart from there. I mean, it really is the the bad quarterback script. Like that that's what it is. Like the teams that have a quarterback that you can't rely on consistently in the passing game. This is what they want to do, right? They 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 want to make everything around that quarterback as good as possible. And, and you know, you want to be these are teams that are usually going to be strong defensively. Um, you know, they want to lean on the run game more. You have generally strong weapons around them so that they can do the heavy lifting in the passing game. And and that's what you do. You like you get out to that early lead, then you fall back on that hopefully good defense and in running game, right? To kind of shorten the game and um, really give your opponent fewer opportunities to do it. This is um, something that I think the the Ravens do, um, you know, a bunch. That's kind of like how they approach it. And uh, that's how the Niners have really approached it for honestly kind of a long time. Even when they're getting, like under Harbaugh, that was kind of the general strategy as well, right? Like, um, you, you know, it's it's really teams that are, are built to play with a lead. And when you fall behind early, uh, it puts everything on the passing game. Like at, you have to have at that point a, a top end quarterback and a passing game that you can rely on to be there for you consistently, or, or it's pretty much over. I mean, once you get into a state where the defense knows that you have to throw on a high percentage of your snaps and they can gear everything around stopping the pass or getting pressure on the quarterback, um, it, it just makes you so much easier to defend when that quarterback isn't somebody who can can kind of put the team on his back and make those plays. The thing is, though, that it was really close to being a Niner game, though. The defense played pretty well early, especially on those first two drives. The the Niners did come into the game playing a bit more too high looks, which is good. I think Robert Sala, we may do a bit more about Robert Sala as the the season wears on, considering that the games are going to be less and less important, I get the sense. Uh, So we'll probably want to think about some topics to to fill the the airwaves (laughs) with. But I do think Robert Sala has especially when he's got players that know his system well and have played in that system for a bit, he's mixed things up quite a bit. He's not been just a traditional single high safety kind of defensive guy. And and outside of the Miami game where he was dealing with literal scrubs that he signed off the street, his, his system has, has worked fairly well. And he played a lot more too high looks in this game. He played a too high look at 51 and a half percent of the time overall in the first half. It was a little bit less but that really allowed them to try to stop the running game with just, you know, a little bit lighter box. But when you're going up against DJ Dallas, it's probably not a bad strategy. And really, you want to protect against the pass. And it worked. And if the Niners wouldn't have had an interception, if they, would have, they wouldn't have had that stupid wildcat call on third and five, um, you know, basically two opportunities to score because they were moving the ball down the field. That would have made this game a whole different ball game, I think. Um, maybe they still don't win because Russell Wilson can put up two touchdowns pretty quick. Um, but really, the offense just couldn't keep pace once the game started to tilt. And and I think it comes back to Jimmy Garoppolo's consistency, both as a quarterback and in his accuracy, because his interception really was the fault of just an inaccurate pass in addition to some slippery turf. Yeah, I mean... 
as a, like the turf is is like was strangely an issue throughout the, like players were just slipping and falling all over the place which is always like a little annoying um generally but yeah i think from from a, a quarterback perspective like where we've really landed with jimmy is like I think it's, I was kind of thinking about this, like as we were getting the agenda together and, and kind of like getting things ready for the podcast, uh, we talked about like the line you have in the agenda, right? Is he, he's not the guy that can, is going to consistently make high level plays. And that's kind of what we have, I think, pinned on him for a little while now. And, and the thing that I started thinking about is like, I don't know that he's the guy that can sporadically make high level plays. Like I look at you, so you look at, um, you know, just as, as one measure, right. Is, is kind of PFF's big time throws, which is generally going to be stuff where quarterbacks are pushing the ball further down the field, stuff that's usually in the, you know, um, 20 plus yards in the air type category, or if it's in the intermediate area, things that are like really tight window or maybe red zone throws, like they're the higher difficulty throws to complete. And, and they get these grades, these higher grades when quarterbacks do them make those throws accurately, make them with good timing, all that kind of stuff, right? These are the top end plays that you get from quarterbacks. Since Jimmy Garoppolo became a 49er, so since the 2017 season, there are 33 quarterbacks who have had at least 1,000 dropbacks in that time frame. Jimmy Garoppolo is the second worst, 32nd in big-time throw percentage. Only Jacoby Brissett has a lower percentage of his throws that hit that level. And so what that tells you just... From uh, you know, uh, like uh, just uh, uh, what I'm trying to say, like his style of play, right, doesn't lend itself to making those types of throws. He doesn't attempt them very much, and when he does attempt them, he tends to miss. And so, what you end up with is Jimmy Garoppolo, and when he's playing his best football, he's a guy that needs to hit the kind of more really mid-level throws and easy throws. On a, on a really consistent basis, right? Like that was that, that, that first stretch where he was really great in 2017. What he did was make kind of the more mid-level throws at a super high level. And then he offset it with like having negative throws at a very low level. And that's kind of what he, in his best games, that's what he's been hitting. And, and so I don't know that he's ever been a guy or will be a guy that when things aren't there for him, um, that, that he's going to be able to like put the team on his back and make those high level throws that make a huge difference for your offense. I think there is something to be said about the marriage of QB and system. And, and when I think uh, part of making a high level play, there is just the pure quarterbacking part of it, which is I can beat coverage with my arm, which we talked about on one of the Patreon videos just a couple weeks ago where we spotlighted some, some quarterback play and we took a look at Jared Goff and, and not saying that Jared Goff is a great quarterback by any stretch, but he can at times make those high level throws, those throws where you're like, wow, he fitted in a window and he beat coverage with that throw. But even within a system, I think when I think of high level plays as well, I think making the right decision within the structure of a play that takes advantage of what is maximally available at that play. And, and that is not the same thing as saying that you as a quarterback are supremely good. Right. But but I don't think that there are very many of those quarterbacks that are going to be in that top like, you know, two, three, four players. Russell Wilson's are rare. Aaron yeah, Rodgers are rare. Sure. Um, you know, Tom Brady's are rare. And, and while you hope you have that guy, the chances are the vast majority of teams are not going to have that guy. 
So then you, then it goes back to kind of the, the, the tiers below that level. And, and then you get into this weird kind of amalgam of marrying a scheme with what that player can do. And that's where I think that, you know, we hoped Garoppolo would be, where he'd be able to execute the things that Kyle Shanahan puts in front of him at a high level. And, and basically, Shanahan's going to scheme your dude open, throw it to that guy. We've seen Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard not be able to do that. So we know that even within Shanahan's system, there are players that can do it worse. Shanahan can't do it all. But I think in the game against the, the Seahawks, you had two things, right? One, Garoppolo wasn't even doing that well. And Garoppolo was being inaccurate on throws that sometimes he hits very well. And then Shanahan just has bonehead decisions like that wildcat play. I mean, you look at the third play of the game when the Niners had, had just gotten a chunk play to Ayuk. They're in Seattle territory. George Kittle breaks wide the hell open across the middle of the field. He is wide open. This should be another 15-yard gain. You should see Kittle get up and do his first down motion. And it's moving down, the matriculating down the field. You're staying on schedule. And... What happens? The ball is just too far out in front of Kittle. And and yeah, Kittle probably could have made a really good play to catch that ball. But if that ball's accurate, Kittle doesn't have to. He just doesn't have to, right? The, the quarterback helps Kittle make that play. And on the interception, the ball is behind Kittle. Even if Kittle doesn't stumble, it's it's probably even worse because Garoppolo just wasn't accurate. And and there may be something to do with his injury and whatnot, but even with even before his injury. His accuracy, we talked about it, his accuracy in the middle of the field on the throws that he was good at had been declining. It wasn't really good. And so I think that he is just in that large bucket of quarterbacks that when things around him are good, he looks good. And because he's got some talent, any one game, he can pop off. He can make a really good throw where you're like, oh man, that's awesome. I think about the throw to Emmanuel Sanders against Arizona last year where he throws Sanders open in man coverage and he reads the leverage and it's great. He's got one of those every now and again, but you, but that's just not him consistently. And that's the difference between, I think, quarterbacks that you can really rely on in these situations and quarterbacks where you're like always thinking about whether or not you should move on. Um, it's just that consistency in production. Yeah, I mean, those kind of throws, like it's not even like, it, it would be one thing if he like had one of those a game. Right. And it's like, OK, it's not a huge part of his his game. Right. Like, you know, obviously, when you're talking about a quarterback typically dropping back, it, even for a team like the 49ers that run the ball uh, a, a lot, like 25, 30 times a, a game or more, you know, depending on what that game script is like, like, OK, he makes one of those throws a game like that's not high level that right that's not Mahomes Wilson or Rodgers or any of those guys that are really the truly elite quarterbacks. But like, OK, we can we can live that like. For Jimmy, it's like it happens once every five games, right? You get one of those throws. And so it's just like it's something that's almost non-existent. You're, you're surprised when it happens. And so what that does is it's not to say that like, yeah, you, of course, if you're going to compare most of the quarterbacks in the league to, I think, the truly elite players at that position, um, the wide majority of players are going to fall up, fall short of that, right? And, and and you just the the reality for most teams is they don't have one of those guys, and you have to figure out another way to win. But what it does when you lack that sort of like ability to make the high end deep down the field plays is it really limits your ceiling as a passing offense. And so it, it's just like like you said, everything has to be kind of perfect around it, right? And, and when you can scheme open the short and intermediate stuff and you get a game where like, okay, his accurate his accuracy on those 
I mean, to be honest, like somewhat easier throws that are in the middle of the field when that's clicking, like, okay, now things are rolling for their offense. We can follow kind of the game script that you laid out right at the the beginning of the segment. And so I, I think that's always the ideal and that's what those teams have to do, but it just puts you in such a hole when you fall off of that, you're playing another good team. And if you get behind knowing that that ability to like get chunk plays down the field is almost non-existent in your offense. It just makes it very difficult to feel like you have much opportunity to do anything from there. And and I think opposing defenses know this. And one of the things that that tells you they know this is the frequency with which they blitz Jimmy Garoppolo, specifically Seattle. They blitz them 60% of the time, which ended up being their blitz rate over the course of the entire game. 60% of pass plays, Seattle sent an extra rusher. That's not something that's necessarily new. I think teams have blitzed Niners, especially when they don't respect the outside receivers. That's changed a little bit at different times when the Niners had Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuel. But especially when you're rocking out there with Kendrick Bourne as your number two, the, the opposing defense is not necessarily going to be wowed by that route running prowess. Now, what the new feature this year is, though, and I think we can seem to think uh, we can thank Brian Flores for this, is teams and defenses are specifically now blitzing right into one of the two A-gaps because they are targeting the lack of center that the Niners have, whether it be Ben Garland, which it didn't happen often as much there, but now with Fronis Grassu, I mean, you're talking about your third string center and the teams are picking on him. They're picking on him and they are succeeding. Bobby Wagner had 20 pass rush snaps. 20. There are rotational defensive ends that don't get 20 pass rush snaps in a game. <laughs> And he had six pressures, six pressures. And it's not like he was dipping and ripping or had some fantastic pass rush move. He was just kind of a better athlete than Ronis. And, and you're like, yeah, you're a third string center and that sucks. And you were getting picked on. And, and that coupled with everything else that Anders were facing was just a consistent uphill climb when the score all of a sudden started to get out of hand. I mean, it's rough right now. Like they, we started to see some things um, I mean, yeah, like obviously your third string center and, and that's just kind of, um, you know, what, where the 49ers are at right now, it's it seemingly every position, you know, especially now going forward as we, you know, as we're going to talk about later and some of the new injuries, but it, it's just like, they're, they're down to kind of, uh, these players who really shouldn't be in the game a lot at several positions. And, and it's just such an easy thing to exploit when you have one, kind of very clear weak link. And in the 49ers case, I mean, it really is that like um, that center right guard combination, right? Like that's kind of the spot that I think if you're, you're a defense and you're kind of looking at, okay, what blitz packages are we going to bring out in, in this game? Like we're going to find stuff that go after those two positions, right? You're not going to really try to worry too much about the edge because that's where the 49ers best offensive players or our best players on the offensive line are located. Like you're going to look at that a gap and, and specifically the one on the right side of that offensive line. And, and that's where you're going to go after. And um, yeah, I think you started to see like not only him, uh, you know, having issues in, in kind of these individual matchups, but also like there were more plays um, that, that I think there were kind of like breakdowns in communication, like the play that comes to mind. Uh, is the one where Jimmy gets pressure directly in his face and he ends up overthrowing Juice in the flat. And and that was another situation. We talked about this in, in kind of one of our Patreon videos a couple weeks back, but uh, it was a situation where when you look at, okay, the front that Seattle's in, where the likely pass rushers are going to come from, it was uh, a, a really a front that they should have been able to pick up. They had five, Seattle did, had five guys on the line of scrimmage. 
You have five offensive linemen staying in to protect. Um, and, and they just like adjusted the protection in a way that clearly left one of those guys unblocked when it was completely unnecessary. Um, and so there's just like things that like that, that pop up, uh, as well in protection that, that just like don't make really any sense for how they're adjusting things. And, and the kind of the combination of all of those factors means that, yeah, like it's going to make life tough for your quarterback. Yeah. And I don't really know that it's, it's necessarily the blitz per se, because Jimmy Garoppolo was fantastic against the blitz last week against new England. And and so it's not, it's not the blitz that is the defining feature of what begins to break things down. It's the pressure. It, it's when the blitz is successful and the blitz can be successful because it, it breaks down the protection from the offensive line. And, and that's, you know, it's going to be a successful blitz in one way. It's successful because the offensive line just doesn't communicate well and can't pick it up. That happens sometimes against Seattle. Uh, it can also be successful because you've got a one-on-one matchup that gets won by that blitzer very, very quickly as Bobby Wagner did a couple of times, six to be exact, uh, in which case <laughs> you get that pressure in the quarterback's face and, and that is the defining feature of what makes things go bad. It, it's not the blitz per se. It's not that Jimmy is bad against the blitz inherently. It's that when a quarterback has pressure in his face, he is going to be a worse quarterback. And that is true for every quarterback. Um, it's just the degree to how much they get worse that changes between the elites and, and the not so elites. And so the issue really is pressure. And it's easier to get pressure when you know you have to pass because you're down two scores. Uh, and, and again, the blitz, like, yeah, like you mentioned is, is not going to be the only thing because you, if you get it picked up, right, if you can set your protections in a way that makes sense to where you can pick up the guys that are showing, or at least when you're going to have those free rushers, um, you know, it's actually one, a situation where it makes sense to have a free rusher, um, you know, and you're going to have hopefully somebody open because at that point they're sending, uh, you know, a significant number of pass rushers at you. And so you should be able to hopefully find some space behind that for some openings. But yeah, if you get it picked up, right, like there are all sorts of big plays to be made. Like, and especially you think of the type of weapons that the 49ers have at, at the skill positions and like that's tailor made for what they want to do, right? Like get Garoppolo, get the ball out of his hands quickly, like get it to one of your playmakers. And if they have this extra space to work with, they're going to do damage after the catch. And so like getting it picked up has just been, I think, such a, an issue. And, and it comes down to like the reasons that we've gone over. Right? Now, all that said, there were a couple of bright spots in the game. And I want to talk, we're going to talk about Brandon Ayuk in a second, but Mullins came in and, and he played, well, a much better game. He, he, he almost like for a minute, it was like, is he really going to bring them back? I mean, Mullins has like the, he had the first win in Seattle in a very, very long time uh, a couple of years ago. So, you know, maybe this is just his thing. Uh, and, but ha- what was he doing against Seattle that Jimmy didn't? Why was he able to perform a little bit better and have a much better stat line, uh, but even a better passing grade? Because he was playing from a situation where Seattle was up by three scores and stopped giving a shit? Like, I mean, well, that's kind of it. <laughs> There's one play in particular where where Brandon Ayuk it's fourth down and he catches a, a ball on fourth down and converts and it's good keeps the offense moving down the field but the it was pretty clear that Seattle was more concerned with stopping the touchdown than they were stopping the first down um, and defenses just played softer um, we've seen that a couple times this year when you've got players come in and, and defenses I think with C J Beathard when he came in a couple weeks ago we talked about how the game situation was just a bit more ripe for him to take advantage of it. Um, that being said, Mullins did exactly what you think a backup would do when he's actually functional. He hit the things he was supposed to hit. 
Um, and, and even then, on that deep pass to Ayuk, uh, that he could have had a touchdown on that pass, but ultimately he left it too far and inside, and, and it didn't, uh, you know, Ayuk makes a good grab and comes down with it. It's a long reception, but a better quarterback turns that into a quick score because it was wide the hell open. But let's get to Ayuk because he was a bit of a bright spot. He was, if, you, if you're looking for a bit of like, oh, what the hell did we watch this game for? What do we have to look for? for? The, he was it, right? It was fun to watch him. And this was really, um, I wouldn't call it necessarily a breakout game given the outcome of the game and really yeah. what he did to get his yards. But it's good to see that he is not on track, hopefully, to end up like another sec- a second round wide receiver <laughs> that we'll talk about here in a second. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it just like, yeah, I, I think with this game specifically, right, it wasn't necessarily, um, you know, a lot of the specific plays like that this was some special game that he had. I think it was just kind of more another in a line of very good games at this point, right, where he is showing that he can kind of be the guy that we thought that he could be in in the draft process, right, where it's it's like that you think about the fit in this offense and the different things that he brings to the table. And it's like, not only can he do a lot of the same, same things that you get from Debo Samuel, as far as some of the, you know, screen game stuff and, and some of your kind of like more special schemed up plays, like he can fit in and all of that area. But, um, I think he's also, you know, a deep threat. We, we saw that on, on the deep throw that you mentioned that, um, you know, Mullins hit him on. And I, I think he's shown the ability to, to get, kind of behind defenders and, and be available on those vertical throws. I mean, if you had the one, um, you know, that Garoppolo hit him on, uh, you know, kind of down the right sideline uh, a bit ago. So yeah, he, he's shown the ability to like have a vertical element to his game, which like, you know, hopefully they uh, try to take advantage of that a little bit more, but who knows how that'll go. But I, I think it's just, yeah, like you're starting to see more consistency from him. He's uh, consistently being a bigger part of the offense and, and getting like a large target share. And so it's just, an encouraging sign to see him, you know, progress in this way when it seems like kind of everything else is falling apart with this team right now. Yeah. And I think that the touchdown reception really showed his, his kind of wiggle at the top of the route, his ability to separate. If you're looking for a really good play, a good kind of showcase of what he can do. I think that was it. Other plays were kind of a mix of concept and, and just him being and running a good route within the structure of the play. This was just flat out one-on-one. The play wasn't even all that interesting. He just completely turns that DB into dust on the route and ends up catching a touchdown. So it's good to see Brandon Ayuk showing the skills that we thought he had in college and seeing them translate in the NFL, albeit against the Seattle defense, because I think that's that's the thing that's coloring all of our commentary here that we haven't even talked about is that Seattle's pass defense is not great. Like we, we talked about how their run defense was kind of good, even though teams didn't have to run on them very often, they still had the components of a good run defense. Bobby Wagner's good. Puna Ford is good in the run game. And, and so I didn't think, we didn't think that this was going to be like a let's run it down their throat type of a game. They were going to have to pass. Um, and, and they couldn't get that done. Uh, and, and I think you started to see a little bit of that late, but it was, it was too little too late against the defense that was playing soft because they knew all they had to do was just watch the clock wind down. Yeah, I mean, it, it, by the time that they started putting up yards and and moving the ball well late in that game, I mean, it was very clear that Seattle had just kind of like made the decision that we're going to force them to throw underneath and we're going to hope that we can come up and make tackles and, um, you know, just kind of call it from there. And, and I think like obviously the yards that they gave up prior to this game like weren't great right like i think what was an nfl record the the number of yards that they'd given up through seven weeks 
Um, I we we've talked a lot over the years about how yards isn't always like the best measure of of performance because they're not all created equally. And, you know, if you don't adjust for situation and a number of other things, like you can kind of be misled in a lot of ways. And I think like that was true of of Seattle. Not that they had a, a good pass defense by any means, but you look at some more advanced kind of measures of of performance you look at epa per play they were 24th you look at, at their kind of team coverage grade with pff they were 15th so they I, I feel like we're maybe a more middle of the pack below average you know type of of coverage unit there rather than being the worst in nfl history like you know it total yards would leave you to believe so like they were they're not great but you know they they're not terrible either and so i think like it, that's the it, it does tell you the where this passing offense is at for the 49ers right like you weren't able to do anything for largely three quarters um against a defense that is is a below average unit overall like that's still is indicative of like the level that you're at right now with all the injuries you're dealing with yeah so i mean that's the that's I mean, we're not going to spend too much time talking about dk metcalf taking over because that wasn't uh that wasn't fun i think on the receiving end um <laughs> you know it's just it, it was a rough game by all accounts and and i think that this is a game that that really it, it's it's hard for the niners to break beyond a lot of the injury stuff that they've had to do i think you could completely have a different game if all of your stars especially on defense are healthy if your quarterback has got full use of his ankle and ligaments that can actually keep his tibia and fibula together. I do think, though, and we'll probably spend some time talking about it over the course of the season, um, the Niners have a decision to make when it comes to the quarterback position. And and I think that you that Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback that in any given year can take you to a Super Bowl, but everything has to hit right. And, and the likelihood of everything hitting right is is not always high. Um, it doesn't happen often. Um, and, and if the Niners really do want to build this sustainably, as they say they want to do, then they probably are going to need an upgrade at that position. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, look, Trent Dilfer can take you to a Super Bowl when everything else is, is, is all right, too. Like, like, like that is, you know, the, the category that I think most quarterbacks in the NFL are in. But that's not, you know ever where you want to be as a franchise like you you obviously want to have a guy at that position um that that can be one of the guys that just makes it to where the fact that you have him on the roster means you're going to be competitive year in and year out right like that's what you're searching for and so i think at this point knowing that you likely don't have that with garoppolo they may not have an opportunity to move on and find somebody else better but you need to really start i think exploring those options yeah, it's it's going to be I still think that this team the the worst it, it's so difficult because the the year where Garoppolo was injured was really such a boost to the team because they did have the draft capital to get someone like Bosa. And you almost want and this is why like it, it does suck that Jimmy's injured and you would hope that he wasn't injured and you know you have you hope you have another full season of of both him playing and getting experience but also seeing what you have um but, you know, the, the only the only thing that you can think here is like, yeah, you know what? Just shelve them because the draft pick at this point is is a bit more important. We're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get some quick hits. But first, we're going to get to a word from our sponsors because this week's podcast is brought to you by Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. 
Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which is shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The pod is also brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, David, let's get to the quick hits. First, how did Jordan Willis do? He had 16 snaps. Not a lot. Didn't have an abysmal game. And that's honestly a, a, good, a good spot to be for a player like him. I'm, I think that it'll be interesting to see what he does over the course of this season and next season. He's got the athletic profile that we love. And he wasn't a disaster his first game. <laughs> Played, I mean, at this rate, you, you never know. Um, but, you know, Arrow is pointing marginally up in the slightest of ways for my man Jordan Willis. I mean, he's still healthy. So that, that's, that's <laughs> also... Functioning limbs and two tackles. By, that gets your arrow pointing up. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, all signs point to him playing again next week, which uh, is a solid sign at this point. Yeah, I think, you know, again, 16 snaps, not a lot to go on. Um, didn't really do a whole lot as a pass rusher. I think, you know, had a couple of nice plays in, in the run game, had that a tackle for loss, you know, kind of early on in the game um, was really kind of the the headline play of his week, so to speak. But yeah, I, I think it's... Um, wasn't disastrous, didn't get hurt, like, cool. Love it. Eric Armstead, you've got Matt Barrows, who often says that Eric Armstead, uh, part of the reason Eric Armstead isn't doing as well this season is because he isn't playing as many snaps at defensive tackle as he played last year. I don't know that that's true. Pulled up his detailed snaps on the old PFF, and you look at the ratio of where he's playing this year as compared to last year. It's pretty close. Not going to lie. It's not too far off. He usually plays in one defensive end position and he comes in into defensive tackle every now and again uh, at roughly, you know, uh, the same rate as he did last year. It is a little lower than last year, but not terribly different. Um, You know, when you look at Eric Armstead, he's not having a bad year. He's having, I think, a year that's in line with the types of years he was having before his career year last year. I think that's, that's the thing that we're maybe thinking is like we're comparing it to a career year. And he's still a very good player who's just not playing the career year levels. And that's, I think, fine. He's definitely, at this point, not uh, erroneously making money. He's not making, He's not like, oh my God, he's making too much money, cut him. It's like, no. And he'll probably play a lot better when he's got P. 
people focusing on Bosa, people focusing on whatever other edge rusher, um, people focusing on a full complement of 49ers defensive linemen. So in no way, shape, or form am I worried about Eric Armstead. Yeah, I mean, he is is absolutely the least of their worries at, at this point. Like, yeah, he's playing out there. Like, he's playing well enough. And, like, right now, like, that's as good as you can hope for most of these guys. Yeah, he's he's good. He's, he's he similarly healthy. Haven't yep. had to worry about him being injured, which is good. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, take the wildcat portion of the playbook and burn it in a fire. My, my, my least favorite quote about this is that Shanahan said that the play would have worked if Seattle wasn't in a cover zero, uh, a cover zero blitz. Well, do you want to know why they ended up putting everyone near the line and started sending everyone on blitzes? Because you're in the fucking wildcat. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know, uh, know what you're expecting in that situation when you put a running back at quarterback. Like, um, yeah, not a fan. Like, just like it does it ever really work like unless like the only thing i feel like it works is like depending on the running back that you have if you have like a bigger guy like maybe it's like decent in short yardage you know like you can get it's almost like having if you have like cam newton right like if you have a big running back like that and you just snap him the ball directly and let him like plow forward and and get like a short yardage conversion like cool other than that like get the fuck out of here like derrick henry is because cam newton newsflash actually still a quarterback Right, I'm saying if you have a running back that is like Cam Newton, who is a giant human and uh, and is like an excellent short yardage guy, that's more what I was going for. Yeah, it just I don't I don't understand why you're going to remove the threat of your quarterback throwing the ball, and it's not even like we were in third and two or third and it was third and five. That's like definitely pushing. We need to pass the ball territory. That was one of those, I mean, you know, it was going to be another one of those, like he called that play knowing that he was going to go for it on fourth down again. It was like that area of the field, yeah. um, not taking into consideration the fact that like, if it gets blown the fuck up because it's a stupid idea to begin with, like then you're fucked and you can't go for it on fourth down. So yeah, it was, it was terrible. Uh, Mark Schlereth, not the most amazing announcer when it comes to game calls on Sunday, but he may have stumbled into a copy of the 49ers playbook. David, talk to me about the terminology that he was throwing around just so casually. I mean, look, not that that we have stumbled into a copy of the 49 Like, that would just be, a, like, no, Un- no. Unheard I, of. I can't believe that it would get out like that. Um, but I'm just saying, like, yeah, he, uh, re- like, you don't usually hear specific terminology from announcers, like, in games, right? Like, they're... They're really calling games for the masses. They're keeping things very general. Even even guys like Tony Romo, right? Like maybe they'll throw out a random term here and there, but then they explain it right away. Like, but usually you're sticking to kind of like generic stuff. Schlereth was pulling out like specific names of like kind of more obscure routes in their route tree and in their playbook that I thought was funny. Like for instance, I, I don't remember who it was that, that was running it, but like uh, I remember specifically calling out uh, branch route, which is like, if you've heard of a stick route, which is kind of like usually a, a, a like a six yard quick outbreaking route, um, is, is kind of a staple quick game route across the, the league. Um, branch is like a slightly longer version, like an eight yard version of that route in the 49ers playbook. Um, you heard him specifically call that route out. He called out like another, like very quick slant that they call a now route. Um, there was this like little, there's probably like four or five times that he like 
called something like that out. And I'm just like, hmm, that's interesting. My favorite thing about this is that, you know, we, we've talked several times about how the nomenclature in playbooks from coaches, it, it's really interesting. And there's they try their best to make it really easy for players. And the same effective route at different lengths is stick, branch, and tree. Like yeah. stick is the short one, branch is the medium one, and tree is the long one. <laughs> like that's how you remember them. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, that's all we got for the quick hits today because we wanted to spend some time talking about 2020 and how the team is pointing their focus to 2020 pretty explicitly. 2021 even. 2021. Sorry. I'm all, I'm, I'm stuck in 2020 at this point. Jesus. I'm ready to uh, 2021. Out. Yeah, because at this point, they are trying to organize their cat situation, get their room neat, get out un- from under mistakes, and really look towards 2021. The first thing they did was they got out from under the Quan Alexander deal. Who could have told them that was a bad deal? I don't know. Couldn't have possibly seen that one coming when it happened. Paying an off-ball linebacker, that much money, $23.5 million for 13 games is ultimately what the final bill will be for (laughs) Quan Alexander. Um, You know, but hey, he pioneered the hot boys. He was a personality in the locker room that was important for lots of reasons. I don't know that it was $23.5 million important, but it was uh, was fun to have him be a part of that Super Bowl team for all of one Super Bowl. Uh, the the trade is sends Kiko Alonso to the 49ers, who is recovering from an ACL injury. He was just activated off of the physically unable to, or it was like injured. No, it was the pup list. He was activated from the pup list to the pap list. He is active. Whether or not he's ready to play, don't know. But the Niners got a 2022 fifth round pick that can become a 2021 fifth round pick based on playtime percentage this year for Kwan Alexander. That little nugget comes from Mac Barrows. So, I mean, the, the Niners are moving on. They had to get out from under this deal because even though there are some cap implications and some dead money, it's still a net savings this year and next year for a team that needs money to pay players that can actually play and play well. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not typically a team that wants to, uh, you know, fuck around a whole lot with dead money. Like, they they really don't like to have it. Like, they structure their, contacts, their, their contracts in a way that, um, you know, typically allow them to move on from players without a lot of dead money. So it, it is like unusual for them in that sense, but um, absolutely is something that that makes sense because like you said, they, they need some element of, of uh, cap space over, you know, next season, especially. And it was just from a, a performance standpoint was a player that um, really is has not been good for them at any point. Um, I mean, they, they've really found other guys that I think have, have certainly been outperforming him, um, you know, on the roster that they got, uh, for, for significantly cheaper. You know, when you talk about guys like Dre Greenlaw specifically, um, it's just, it made a ton of sense for them to, to look, to get away from that deal. Yeah. And we've talked a lot about the availability of a skill that, that is puts your defense in a position to compete. And I do think that, you know, the fact that the Niners hit on Fred Warner in the third round and got Dre Greenlaw, it means that that it's not that the Niners are in some way, shape or form, like super amazing at drafting linebackers. I mean, they missed on Reuben Foster, right? Um, for, I guess, maybe different than football reasons. But the the skill is relatively available. And that means that you're likely to get players that are serviceable. And so it doesn't make a ton of sense to pay huge money to players like Quan Alexander. Uh, and I think the Niners hopefully are realizing that they've got a cheaper, better alternative in Dre Greenlaw. I think Aziz Alshire, if he cleans up some of those mental mistakes because he got caught with another one against Seattle, 
where he didn't carry the running back out into the flat and it cost him a touchdown. Um, I think if he can clean those up, he's got the physical profile that can do well as well. But Kiko Alonso is basically an afterthought. He's someone that they probably just got thrown in because the Saints were like, can you please take this guy? And they were like, sure. <laughs> because really, I think what they wanted was the, was the, the fifth round pick. But yeah. Kiko Alonso, he is not signed after this year. He is in the twilight of his career. Um, at this point, he's just got to get the he's got to keep the seat warm and, and maybe teach Al Shire how to not bust coverages or screw things up. Not that sure that's his, on the table, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's that's the thing. But I mean, this Quan Alexander is just you know it's it's the team realizing the mistake, getting out from under it, and and my hope is that. The, the same thought process that got them to we need to get out from under this contract is going to tell them that they should not spend a ton of money on an off-ball linebacker uh, in free agency. Like, take that money and spend it on Fred Warner. Yeah, like, so it, it's it's a tough move to, like, so, like, obviously it makes sense. Like, right now they needed to do it, and and you want to give them an element of credit for recognizing that it, that it wasn't a good deal, that it wasn't the right move, that they they couldn't, you know keep him on the roster at that price. Um, but you would really like for them to stop making these mistakes that, that I think you can see ahead of time to begin with, right? Like, um, you know, as you're, you know, they, they, they've, they've shown that they're willing to cut bait early and they're not going to hold on to a guy just because of the money that they paid him up front. But a lot of times when they're paying that money up front, it's to players that, that like what they've shown over their career up until that point, like, really tells you that they shouldn't be getting that money to begin with. And so I think like we're, I, I think we're really waiting for them to turn that corner, right. Of like not only making, I think the, the smart move to cut bait, you know, early and not hold on to guys just because you've committed some of these resources to them. Um, but like start to really evaluate like, okay, what was it that led us to making that decision to begin with? And how can we avoid making these moves in the future? Like, like just avoid making those types of signings, going forward i am curious to see because i do think this is the second or maybe even the third wave of decisions that this team is being forced to make and i am curious to see if we do see an improvement in decision making because i i don't think that we can hold them to a standard of making perfect personnel decisions even the best personnel people in the whole wide world are going to make terrible decisions i think a friend of the pod jeff genie had a really funny tweet about bill walsh and i think he said uh bill walsh drafted giovanni carmazzi right like e- even bill walsh who is considered as one of the great talent evaluators and you know he is in the pantheon of 49ers just you know 49ers sainthood he still makes mistakes i, I don't know that we can hold the niners to you're going to be perfect about things but I do think that you can identify a couple of flaws in their process to see if they change because early on in, in the way they were building this team they had a wide latitude to make mistakes. You can blow a fourth round pick on Joe Williams. You can pay 21 or $23 million to Kyle Juszczyk. You can sign Malcolm Smith, $23 million contracts, right? And even when they signed Quan Alexander, like they still had a fair amount of room there. You can sign a player like Quan Alexander because you still have a lot of wiggle room in the cap. Now you're up against things. Now it's really going to be like, what did you learn in those first two, three years of that franchise that are going to help you win on the margins? Are you going to spend money on off-ball linebackers that don't really impact the pass game all that well? Um, I don't know. We'll see. I think that moves like the DeForest Buckner trade show that they are learning. 
I think getting out from under this Quan Alexander deal um, shows that they're learning. So we'll see. That's definitely something to keep in mind because ultimately, while they did get that dead money hit, $6.9 million is going to hit the cap next year. It's still overall going to be a net savings because he had like a $15 million salary next year and, and a salary that was just about as big the year after. So the Niners get cap relief as a result, even though it's going to be a $6.9 million dead money hit next year. I think one of the first decisions, honestly, that we're going to see as to whether or not they have, have kind of learned a lesson with the the spending at some of these positions that aren't usually, you know, positions that you want to spend a lot of money on is is what they do with Juszczyk. Yeah. check his contract is up after this season. This is the, the final year right now. And uh, if they re-sign him to another, like, similar deal that is, like, very clearly just astronomically high for a fullback um, after like, look, he hasn't been, I'm not saying the guy's terrible by any means. Like I, I, all of the reasons that get pointed out that, uh, why he brings value to the table and, and like all of the things that he can do, like are noted. It's just not, that's not worth being the third highest paid player on your team, which is what he is right now. After you get rid of Quan Alexander, he is the third highest paid player on this team. And it's just like absurd. And so those are the type of decisions we talked about. Like you said, when they, when they first took over, there was all of this latitude to, to like make these, these really mistakes and, um, you know, kind of go after specific players that they identified that they really wanted to have around. And we kept talking about like, if you keep doing this, it's going to catch up to you eventually. And, and we started to wonder like, you know, going into the season before everything happened, um, you know, with COVID that, that really changed the cap outlook over the next few seasons, we started to wonder like, well, is it going to catch up to him? Because like the cap is just going to keep shooting up like crazy. And if you always have this cap space, then like, hey, maybe it really doesn't matter all that much. Well, now that's not happening. And now these things are going to start to matter. And so if you're going to have a roster that like, as we've talked about with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback, if you can't move on from him and you have that quarterback that needs a supporting cast around him, you can't build that strong supporting cast when you're paying fullbacks and kickers $5 million plus. Like it's not happening. Yeah, I think the 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 tough part when you're talking about cap space is that and, and, and this is why the season ultimately is is kind of sunk, right? It's like it, it sucks and it sucks that this is happening in this way. But when you when you have that, which I think teams can overcome, especially if, if things are going well in, in some other departments. But at this point, the the injuries that have hit the 49ers, it, it's just too much to overcome. Going into this week, they had something like forty million dollars, forty eight point two million dollars uninjured reserve. Kittle and Garoppolo are both going on injured reserve. That's another $32.4 million in this year's salary cap dollars that are going on injured reserve. That is a grand total of $80.6 million on injured reserve. That is 40% of your 2020 salary cap. 40%. When the whole year is about trying to acquire talent that performs like, you know, a $250 million salary cap when you're really paying them $210 million, right? Like that's, that's the goal. The Niners are doing the exact opposite. They're trying to get, yep. you know, $210 million out of, you know, $110 million. <laughs> and and, that's, and that, that, that's hard for anyone to do. It really is. 
it's nearly impossible, especially when you're not getting performance out of your quarterback that you would hope or expect. It's hard when, you know, some of your big money signings don't really pan out. It's hard when Richard Sherman's on injured reserve, when Bosa's on injured reserve. I mean, this is just not a good year for the 49ers. And despite all of that, they released Dante Pettis, which is going to get as much mention on this show as it is important. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the only thing about the Dante Pettis release that I two, two thoughts immediately came to mind. One, how many catches is he going to have against the Niners when he returns to Levi's as a Seattle Seahawk? And, and two, uh, it's Kevin White season, baby. Basically, the move saves $500,000, and the Niners are going to have to elevate someone. They've only got three healthy wide receivers. And so it's Kevin White season, baby, because it's either him or Rivers Craycraft. And I'm all about uh, the Kevin White season. Let's do it. Let's do it. Why not? Why what else are you gonna not? Do? Uh, and despite all that, the Niners still have an outside shot to beat the Packers. Because I mean, the sure. Packers are terrible at defending the run. And if there's the, and that's at this point, the only thing the Niners can do with a high degree of confidence and can do well when they face a team that can't stop the run, this team looks unstoppable. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, the Packers, uh, can't stop the run specifically against the Vikings. Um, and like, other than that, they're kind of fine. Um, and like, look, obviously like there, there are going to be some parallels there with the, the Viking scheme and what they're doing, uh, in the run game and what the 49ers are going to try to do in the run game. Um, I think it's just, it's too much to ask at this point. Like, like it, it was, you know, when, when we were what three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, and, and we were talking about some of the injuries and it was like, all right, and you know, against some of these teams, yeah, you can still hope for that good game script, like, and, and maybe things will fall in place. Like, against a team that I think is legitimately good against the Packers, like the Packers. Um, you're just, you're, you're in a spot. You just don't have enough bodies to compete. You don't have enough good players that are left. Like, you know, the, the thing about the, the amount of cap that is on injured reserve is just like fucking insane. Um, every NFL team is going to, every NFL team is going to want to say like, we're not going to let injuries be an excuse. And we got to do next man up and yada, yada, like all that bullshit. like that can be true to a degree, right? You have like maybe, okay, one key injury. Like let's say just for, for hypothetical, like say it was just Bosa. Bosa goes out early in the season. He's on IR. You know, you're going to be out without him. Like, cool. We can, we can build around it. Like we can figure something out to like adjust to that one significant piece being gone. If we've got everybody else there, right? You there, there's still, that's not going to tank your entire season. Like they're at the point, like they don't have any of their good guys left. Like there, there's like so few players that are like the, the top contributors that are on that roster still, or like. And the thing healthy. is, is is they're top contributors at the most important positions. Yeah, because you've got a cornerback, you've got your pass rusher, you've got your quarterback now, you've got your number one passing threat in George Kittle, like that. That's and you've got your center who in, in the and, and you're down to your third string center, which in Shanahan's yeah. scheme is really important because they call out protections and they've got a lot of really difficult blocks to make. It is it is just... Uh, your number know, two pass f- catcher. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're down to, like, not that running backs, like, fucking matter at all, but you're, like, down three. Like, you don't have hardly any bodies there. Like, there's just nobody hey, left. You stop disparaging Jamichael Hasty. I will not stand what was his for line? this Jamichael Hasty. 12, 12 for 29? Doesn't 12 matter. 12 for 29, yeah. Run, run the scouting tape. It's all about the it's all about the the features of the skill of the talent. Look at the speed, the pop, the dreads. Yeah, it's all that matters. Yeah, it's all that matters, David. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, look, like 
it's the fucking NFL and weird shit happens every week that you don't expect. And, and like you can have a game where a, a bad team stays tight with a good team because they get some things that go their way. And, and that could very much happen against the Packers. Sure. Um, it is not a likely scenario by any case because of the injuries that they're dealing with because of what the Packers are doing. I mean, they're just playing Packers are playing so much better offensively this season than they did last season. Like, uh, it, it's just, I think going to be a very difficult game for them to keep pace because they just don't have the guys to do it. Yeah. I think you look at the Shanahan tree and, and I, I may have mentioned this, I think before on the podcast, but you look at the other Shanahan ish disciples and you've got McVeigh, you've got LaFleur, you've got, you know, even Stefanski to a certain degree, um, who's kind of a, a degree removed from that Shanahan nest, but they all have quarterbacks to a certain degree and you can argue about baker mayfield but he was still kind of the, the first overall pick in the draft right the, the the reason that shanahan hasn't seen as consistent highs as i think some of those other guys and even lafleur i probably not that consistent is just because he doesn't have aaron Rodgers. you know he doesn't have uh the quarterbacks and even jared goff you know has some high level stuff every now and again that he puts on tape um you know i think when shanahan can fix the the, the quarterback bit i think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting but he's got to be able to fix that quarterback bit yeah, um, it, it's yeah, it, it sure would be nice to have a good quarterback. And um, just because I mean, honestly, I'm bored and, and was curious. Um, look, just for the Packers, put some numbers on the Packers run defense right now. And, and that hope um, against every other opponent other than the Vikings right now, um, the Packers are eighth in team run defense grade and 11th in EPA per play allowed. against. I'm not run. here for your logic, David. I'm not, I'm not um, here for these facts and figures. What do you think so, this is? What do, you, what do you think? This is a data-based podcast. You think we care about numbers? I don't care about numbers. I don't care about these things. Uh, fucking All I me. care about is that the the Packers have the worst tackling grade in the NFL. They've missed 63 tackles on 426 plays. That, I mean, that average is like at least seven tackles a play. There's like I'm three Quan Alexanders in there. Absolutely. All yeah. of the time. This is what I'm talking about. No, it's going to be, uh, you know, I think elegant tank season is upon us. I didn't think I'd have to go back to this elegant tank so quickly, you know, one year and, and then you go right back to it. But elegant tanks are available on the uh, better rivals merch store in case you need something to rock in the summer. <laughs> we actually, we actually sold a couple. Uh, we sold a couple uh, yeah. this week cause I tweeted out a picture of them and everyone's like, are those real? I'm like, yeah, they've been real buddy. We've, we've been in this dark pool for a while. Uh, and we had, we got, we came up for air last and year I'm and now so we're right back. I'm so fucking not ready to go back. Like it's, uh, it's, it's fine. depressing. It's fine. We'll find stuff to be happy about and we'll go from there. But Will until we? then, until then, you can follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, don't bother. Go to patreon.com slash better rivals and press that subscribe button there. Um, the Twitter feed, like, let's be real, is uh, is just yeah. non-existent i'm gonna point. have to find i'm gonna have to find a way to compress that for you and make it more bite-sized but we'll we'll figure it out we'll workshop it yeah we'll, we'll, sure. we'll put it in a workshop we'll have plenty <laughs> of time there won't be good Thanks football to talk for tuning in everyone and as always go niners